Welcome to your sanity safe space with your favorite YouTube podcast duo, or at least one of them. It kind of depends, and probably some rando too. But no complaining, because this is free. Free! This is Beauty and the Beta bonus audio content. And welcome to the show. I recently did a guest appearance on the Justin Martin show. I've been over on his show once before, and it's been a good discussion on both occasions. Justin is a smart guy, keen on the political issues of the day. We talked about Trump's electoral prospects. We talked social media's increasing grip on all opinions deemed harmful. We talked some Comeygate, though this discussion was before Sunday's clearance of Hillary, at least for the Wiener emails. If you like what you hear, and I hope that you will, find Justin's links down in the description and tell him I sent you if you do. Thanks for listening and enjoy. This is The Justin Martin Show. You can subscribe on iTunes or visit justinmartinshow.com. Follow Justin on Twitter at jmartinshow. If you're on YouTube, don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. This show has been sponsored by Awesome Wipes, the pre-moistened wipes specially designed to wipe away germs and smudges from your electronics while keeping them safe and static-free. Hello, everyone. I'm Justin Martin. Welcome to The Justin Martin Show. This week, we have returning guest Matt Christensen. He's a YouTuber and a podcaster. Matt, thanks for coming back on. Hey, thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Absolutely. So uh, last time you were here, you were still uh, Skag3, but you were talking about uh, you know rebranding under your own name. How's that yeah. been for you? Oh, it's been awesome. I feel so liberated. <laughs> the the doxers of the world are uh, robbed of the the moment of satisfaction they get when they uncover your real name, and uh, of course you are a uh, um, beneficiary of that privilege as well. So doxers can come and get us anytime they want. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, I like that. Yeah, you don't have to worry about that. I, I know people. Uh, you know, we're obviously you're sharing your opinion online. You're always going to have people who are going to disagree with you and come after you. But I just think, like I said, I just think it's better to just put your name behind your words. You know, that's it, that's important to me, and uh, I'm glad you're doing that. I do know uh, your, your co-host uh, Blonde had a issue with some some random scummy magazine coming after her family and trying to dox them after uh, because of some of her videos. Yeah, and that's the thing. You know, I mean, I agree that if you. I'm sympathetic to the argument, I should say, that if you want to put stuff on the Internet or you want to say things, you should you should have the pride in, in your own work and your own words to put your own name to it. I think there's something to that. But the other side of the coin is the scumbags who want to punish you for having the wrong opinion. If your listeners aren't familiar, our, our podcast, Beauty and the Beta, my co-host, does not go by her her full name. But this bizarre hit piece came out of nowhere from something called the Riverfront Times in St. Louis, with uh, some some kind of hipster newspaper in St. Louis calling her a racist, calling her an idiot, a moron, you know, all these, whatever. It just It's just a dumb hit piece that was void of any reasoning or logic, which is fine. We don't have any dispute with people publishing whatever opinion they want. What's not fine is the author of that article also posted her family's information on Twitter and the comment section of the article was filled with her family's personal information. And there was a a whole campaign of targeted harassment, which is just not cool. And of course, we try to get someone from their publication on our show. Their publication will sit there and just tweet out their stupid article to drum up all this controversy, but they won't have 
they don't have the decency to just have a conversation about their article. They, they refuse to acknowledge either blonde or I. So long story short, that is the other side of the coin uh, when you're talking about your online identity is, is the scumbags of the world who want to punish people for having the wrong opinions, and it sucks. Yeah, that witch hunt mentality is everywhere. And, you know, it's one thing to disagree with someone and try to uh, refute their points. I still think it's a scummier thing to go after them personally, but they did. you did put yourself out there on the Internet, so you have to expect some of that. When you go after the civilians, you know, when you're – it's not just – you know, the person that you disagree with, it's their family, it's their friends, you're going, you're trying to expose their names and hoping that something happens to their jobs. That's where I really want to take you to task. That's, that's horrible behavior. Yeah, and I, and I, I just don't get it. I don't get the motive. As much as um, I disagree with, you know, say the social justice crowd, or as much as I disagree with, say, like an enthusiastic Hillary voter, I don't want, I don't care about your brother or your sister or your family. I don't, I don't care about that. If I want to debate with you, I want to win on the merits of the reasoning. Isn't that what they want? No, uh, it, not at all. I guess not. <laughs> and that's, guess. that's the thing. They, you're, you think they're wrong. They think you're evil. And it's yeah. a big difference when you think, when you can call someone a racist or a bigot or a homophobe, when you can apply those demon labels to people, which is what those words have become in our, in our culture, they are the worst things you can be, uh, you know, and and that's what you're seeing with Trump, right? It doesn't matter how many laws Hillary broke, tr Trump is racist, and that is the worst thing you can be. And when you can call someone that, you can do whatever you want to them. So you can justify tactics that would otherwise be horrible. Why would you debate with this person? They're a racist. You can't debate oh, yeah. with a racist. You burn them down. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you're spot on in your analysis there. I think they, the the problem for them is the law of diminishing returns. We've reached the point where everyone's a racist, where everyone is one of the evils you're talking about, and if that's the case, then the then the accusation means a lot less than it might have yesteryear when being a racist was a rare thing. Now it's just your neighbor, your dog, your cat, your mom, <laughs> they're all racist. Well, and when you have the you know Hillary Clinton coming out calling Trump supporters a, a basket of deplorables, immediately what do you see Trump supporters do? Take up the mantle. Oh yeah, yeah. we're the deplorables, and that's where you see that word the words stop losing. You know they start losing their power when you call Mitt Romney a racist. We just don't believe you when you call Trump a racist. <laughs> like if you're gonna call milk toast Mitt Romney and you know an evil guy who's gonna put your uh, black people back in chains, we don't believe you when you tell us that you know Donald Trump is. Some evil racist. It just, you know, like I said, diminishing yeah. returns at some and, and it's And it's just dumb, too. I mean, as inconvenient as it is and as uncomfortable as it is, a racist can be right, especially on issues not related to race. You know, like a racist could conceivably cure cancer. And are we going to say, no, thanks, uh, you're a racist, I'll do without that cancer cure. I mean... You can simultaneously have bad thoughts and good or correct thoughts. And... If we're going to debate about anything, really, I mean, if we're going to debate about the current state of society, but, but you refuse because someone is racist, even if I grant you the premise that he or she is, doesn't mean they don't have some good ideas that still need to be examined. Yeah, the, the attempt to ideologically conform the you know, entirety of society at once is just absolutely ridiculous. But I wanted to ask you... Because you're a guy now who's got a, a, a you know, growing YouTube channel, you're becoming a bigger YouTuber, I'm, I'm looking at YouTube's censorship policies. We, we're seeing mm -hmm. the demonetization that they're doing. We're seeing 
the censorship of videos of certain issues. And now I think what, what's interesting is we're seeing, are you familiar with Prager University? I am not, okay. uh, but I have seen it in passing, so you'll have to fill me in, but I, I think I might know where you're going. Well, I've been, a, I've been a big Dennis Prager fan for a decade or more. I really like him, and I was very surprised when, uh, kind of as people transitioned onto YouTube, he started making some of this content, because he's kind of the world's oldest uh, old-school talk radio guy, and he's he's doing these videos, but they're they're pretty good, and they're they're pretty down the line, uh, low key, there's nothing very controversial in them. They're just trying to educate mm -hmm. people and they tend to have more of a conservative, uh, slant, but you'll have people like Christina Hoff Summers on there. Ion Hirsi Ali, a lot of people who wouldn't necessarily call themselves Republicans or to the right, but are obviously presenting sympathetic mm -hmm. viewpoints. And they're now making national news because their videos are being put on the restricted lists <laughs> of, of YouTube <laughs> And so if, if you're watching YouTube on like a library machine at a school or if your parents have you're under 18, your parents have set your YouTube account restricted, you can't watch Prager University videos on like economics right. because okay. they're too yeah. controversial. And I think this is even starting to happen to Stephen Crowder now. I think yep. I saw him say that the same thing. That I did thing. hear about. Yeah, which is interesting because Stephen Crowder has uh, – I mean he's syndicated. He he has to follow FCC rules. Right. <laughs> so, I mean he could be broadcast on the radio but – well, if you're a 16 year old kid driving your car, you could. You, it's possible you hear him on the radio somewhere, but if you go to your school computer, you can't watch his videos. And he has a little edge to his comedy, and obviously he's not. Nobody would call him politically correct, but I have I've never seen anything from him that I would consider even worthy of like a, a rated R in a movie or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, very PG, PG thirteen, and and Prager University stuff is even more banal. It's interesting because they showed, you know, you see Young Turks video on the same topic, yeah. and it's Chank and and uh, Anna, you know, dropping f bombs every thirty seconds. Jimmy Dore spitting right. in people's faces but, and stuff. Right, and yeah. you and you can watch them doing a, a video on the exact same topic. Uh, without restriction, but suddenly Prager University, the only blue in that video is in the background color, and mm -hmm. somehow that's now restricted on there. Do you worry about, you know, we see more and more social media platforms. Obviously, Facebook and Twitter have been in the tank for a long time, and that's well known. But, you know, this is some of the stuff that, you know, people are basing their livelihood on. Do you worry about that in the long term, being able to make something of your message and monetize videos and get that kind of thing out? Uh, I mean, I, I see a lot of people I admire and people I associate with. Uh, I don't know if being victimized is the right word on this, because I do want to emphasize that obviously as a private business, YouTube is entitled to to set the terms of, of their own Absolute, uh, operation absolutely. as much as they want. The question is, is it, in, is it smart or not? I don't think any of the policies that they're rolling out have been smart, because I don't think that they're helping anyone. I don't think they help the viewer, and I certainly don't think they help the content creator. Somehow I have uh, slipped by every single one of these. I've never had a video demonetized. Um, granted, I might not take as edgy an approach on some things as, as a lot of other people might. And I certainly have never, I, I don't have this restricted status, obviously. So I've never personally encountered any of these obstacles that a lot of people uh, are encountering. I, I think YouTube is dumb to uh, alienate or, or irritate their creators because ultimately YouTube is uh, dependent upon those creators. So I guess what I would say is I, I have faith that 
the people with loyal audiences on YouTube could uh, transfer or move their audiences to just about any platform that would host it. So, I mean, if YouTube abuses their role in this too much, such that content creators become too alienated, I do have faith that a viable alternative would rise. And honestly, if there was a viable alternative right now that promised not to do the stuff that YouTube was doing, and if I were guaranteed to go over there and get you know viewership numbers comparable to what I do now with the assurance that this crap isn't going to happen, I'd jump ship right now. Right. And I think the same thing... Uh, will probably happen with Twitter, too, as soon as there's a viable alternative. I know there's Gab and some other things. I don't think they're quite viable just yet, but I do set up accounts just, you know, in the, in the case that these things take off a little bit. Uh, the, more they, the more they push, the more the viable alternative becomes a reality. So I, I wouldn't say that I'm worried about it. I, I think they're stupid to make these decisions, and I think they're, they're only tying their own noose, so to speak. But, but I think the power is really with the creator uh, and, and with the audience who wants to to consume the creator's product. So I'm not too worried about it. Um, I would advise them against it, but I, I don't, I don't fear what they're doing either. Well, I think it's interesting if we might see a balkanization in the online market, the same way we saw it in the traditional market. So you had conservative or right wing views get pushed so far off of print media and uh, cable news that when you finally had something like Fox News pop up or talk radio pop up, they became immensely successful because yeah. you've got 20 channels parroting left-wing opinions and you've got one right-wing channel. There's no, you don't have to divide it. And mm -hmm. I wonder if that's going to, something similar could happen in the online space. Obviously everyone kind of gets to be their own boss when you're choosing platforms online, but I'm interested to see if, yeah, there there becomes a right wing YouTube and a and a, and a left wing YouTube. Is that is that how it ends up splitting? I know. Yeah, it's like, yeah. I wonder if they got the message too. Do you remember the the YouTube Heroes idea they floated maybe yes. a few weeks or a couple months ago, where they were gonna basically there was incentive to flag, you know, offensive or uh, bad material, and you would kind of be rewarded for this, and you would reach you, you would uh, ascend tiers. Of heroism. <laughs> yeah. If you level up enough, you can you just knock down a whole channel by yourself. It's uh, correct. It's, yeah. yeah. But the backlash to that, I think it was one of the most disliked YouTube videos ever. Yeah, I, I think it had like three upvotes. Uh, so yeah, it, and, it was. Um, so clearly, the audience doesn't want it either. I mean, that's it's so amazing to me when people see what they call hate speech or th this thing called this, this thing when people claim YouTube bullying as though you can upload a video to YouTube that, I mean, I suppose you could, that might bully a particular individual if you had secrets about them. Like maybe if you were in school and you had, um, you know, like uh, private pictures of a person or something, maybe that could be bullying. But this idea that I can just upload a video to YouTube talking about a general social topic and that can be bullying. The idea that someone that you can be bullied by material that you have to seek out voluntarily. Yeah, that's an insane idea, and I don't think the audience buys it. Uh, I, if YouTube Heroes is any indicator, I I think people don't get their butts whooped enough anymore, uh, and this is just <laughs> completely removed uh, reality from the idea of bullying. It used to be. To be a bully, you had to be like six four and uh, re relatively muscular, right? Like you, yeah. you had to have a physical presence, and it's wrong for people to get bullied, in, you know, physically. But at least it limited the number of people who you could call bullies. 
because they had to actually physically do something to you. But now yeah. that that doesn't really happen anymore, you're going to get suspended immediately at school or whatever. People don't go through that the same way. And so, A, it, it impassions people to become emotional bullies because they don't actually have to worry about physical consequences. You can be a giant jerk and you're not actually going to get punched in the nose anymore. Yeah. And then and then it also makes people conflate just someone disagreeing with your ideas on the internet as bullying. Yeah. I don't know. And that's the greatest thing about YouTube is it, it in in the pure form it should be a forum in which the best ideas and the best arguments just naturally rise. And because it's unrestricted. I mean it's a great equalizer. You in theory it's unrestricted, a, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, you don't need to have some big production studio like Fox or NBC or CNN or anything. If you've got a great idea or a great piece of analysis or great comedy or whatever your art form is, uh, you can put that out there and it will rise or fall on its own merits. And that is what is awesome about it. It's just a platform for uh, – it's pure meritocracy and it allows all of these art forms to, to rise or fall on their own. And that – if I ran YouTube, that is the vision that is – it's the reason it's successful and that is the vision that should be preserved at all costs. Sorry if you get your feelings hurt. Maybe just close the laptop. I mean if you're being targeted specifically, if you're the victim of targeted personal harassment, sure. But other than that, uh, kindly, kindly F off. I don't know if I can swear on your show or not. <laughs> I forget. <laughs> no, I you're know, fine. But, you're okay. fine. Uh, no, I think it's always amazing to me that people who live by the market, then once they reach a certain amount of success, suddenly forget how the marketplace works. You see this a lot with, with rich people. They they don't pre preach what they practice, right? They, they build a business based on supply and demand on the marketplace of ideas that which is best rises through competition. And then as soon as they get to a place where they've succeeded on that model, they somehow feel the need to completely forget all of the lessons that made them successful and impose some kind of socialism on <laughs> whether it be on their own businesses or, you know, on the government. It's always confusing to me. Yeah, well, I suppose that hunger to compete is um, you're hungriest when you're at the bottom, right? True. So I guess you get into that kind of preservation mode when you're when you're up on the top. But you know, I just I don't know. Uh, there are plenty of of big successful YouTubers I know who do not have that attitude and who say, you know what, if someone is better at this than me or has better ideas than me or can do this in a more entertaining way than me, more power to them. I want this to be. Not everyone has to be competitive oh. either. I mean, we all are we are all kind of competing for a limited amount of views, sort of. But but really, I mean, we can all get along and we can all push each other and, and make better stuff and, and cooperate. And it's it's awesome. I love everything about YouTube other than the, the new BS moves they're trying to put in place. And, and I really hope they wake up. Yeah, yeah, I definitely wasn't talking about creators there. I was definitely talking about the the owners and such. But uh, I wanted to yeah. get, oh, yeah. I wanted to get into uh, elections, of course, because it's a, it's just a few days away. Uh, so when you were on last time, both Trump and Hillary were receiving their party's nominations. Convention season was just happening, and so we were kind of speculating. A lot of people were just speculating on what does a Trump versus Hillary. Uh, election look like, where the debates look like, and uh, we know now. So uh, I'm interested. That I have to say, this has got to be probably the most fact-free election I've ever seen in my lifetime. Just, I knew it was going to be a lot of personal attacks, but I've yeah. seen almost zero discussion of policy uh, yeah. throughout the entire thing, which is 
pretty new <laughs> to to me. Yeah, I I feel the exact same way, and um, uh, I, I I'm kind of firmly on one side of this election at this mm-hmm. point. Uh, I don't know that that was. I guess I haven't um, been in the Hillary camp ever, but there was a time when I, when I was more doubtful of Mr. Trump. Yeah, you were kind of limping but, um, on to, into the tape, into the pot on Trump last time, but uh, but man, uh, it's hard. It's hard to say. I mean, to your point, it's hard to say what specific policy uh, either of these candidates stand for. With the, I, I will. I mean, I will give Trump credit for the firm stances he's taken. Obviously, if he's elected, we're going to try to build the wall. We're going to try to fix these trade deals. Um, there, there's some firm stances he's taken, but then there are a whole series of other areas where where he stands is entirely unclear. And then on, on Hillary's end, uh, I mean, I don't. I I try. I would consider myself kind of a, a news junkie, a, a political nerd, so to speak. I pay attention to this stuff. As far as I can tell, it's just about Alicia Machado at this point, and it's about these uh, these accusers, and it's about Trump said mean words. I mean, this this entire election, from that perspective, has been a referendum on mean words. I just listened to Chelsea Clinton talking about how Trump has normalized hate speech, whatever that means. I don't even know what quotes she's talking about, and I don't know why we should care necessarily. Uh, I, this is not a referendum on mean words. We have important problems to fix. And I do think Trump is, in my opinion, Trump is addressing those problems better than Hillary is. Um, but both candidates, I, I, I agree with your assessment. I would like to see more issue focus, more policy focus. But the bottom line is that's also not um, very publicly consumable. Not a lot of people are going to read. Right white papers, policy papers, those sorts of things. No, I I agree that there's obviously you're going to get a lot more heat off the personal attacks. And that's always been the case in politics. I was just blown away that at least the first two debates, I think Chris Wallace actually got us a few policy answers in the third one. Yeah. But in the first two debates, it was basically they never answered a a question on policy. It was the, the immediate thing was, well, yes, I do think that it's very important that we trade and then pivot immediately to scandal. Uh, that was just the modus operandi of, of both candidates uh, in the first two debates. But I just I think it's interesting. Obviously, we because this is pretty much a personal attack election. Obviously, we had the big hit for Trump with the tape and uh, coincidental fi- coincidentally 15 women simultaneously coming out and suddenly yeah. discovering that they had been sexually molested by Trump. Um, so that w- was his big hit in the polls. Now, obviously, we have the Hillary Clinton uh, email scandal being reopened by the FBI and all the revelations about the DOJ leaning on the FBI throughout this investigation and then mm-hmm. further information about more Clinton uh, Clinton Foundation investigations all coming up. How do you think this all plays out here? We've got just a few days left. Do you think you know Trump had a, a massive deficit? Do you think this moves the chains enough? He's tightening polls, but I wonder. I'm, I'm looking at the map as we speak, Real Clear Politics map. Um and I mean, it's been it's been the case for a while that he basically needs a battleground sweep to make this happen. Right. Uh, so but it's it's entirely possible. Currently, they have 224 electoral votes, um, safe Clinton and 164 safe uh, Trump. So that leaves uh, 150 in play. Um, so according to this map, he does have a little bit of wiggle room, more wiggle room than he has had. Um, in previous weeks, and they even have Pennsylvania listed here as a toss-up, and they've got uh, Maine and New Hampshire as a toss-up. So there's more. The map is widening a little bit. Colorado as well. The, I think there's reason for optimism 
on a few fronts. And I think one of the, so there's a couple, there's a couple things here that, you know, maybe polls don't capture. Maybe they do. I do want to say people like to rip on the polls, uh, perhaps rightfully, perhaps wrongfully. There, there are certainly methodological critiques you can take into it, but I, I, we do need to be honest that in recent histories, the polls have pretty much pegged it. So it's possible that they get it wrong this time. If they do, they're historically wrong. It's possible. But, um, it seems to me there's a lot of people who just want to pretend that the, that the polls are, are guessing or something like that. They're not. They, they tend yeah. to be pretty right on. The, so the, we need to the be Bill Mitchell argument does not hold for me. I'm sorry. Like, you could explain to me how the polls are going to be off by 3%, but they were trying to explain to me how the polls were off by, like, 10% when Trump was down 10, 12 points. Yeah. Sorry. No. So, uh, but there are a couple things the polls don't capture that I think might be in his favor. Um, obviously, the, the the main thing that people go to is, you know, who are you talking to in these polls? So the, the demographics of the polls might be off. But really, the big issue here is the enthusiasm gap. And there's no question that Trump's enthusiasm is miles ahead of Hillary's enthusiasm. Go check the rallies. Everyone knows this. Oh, Trump's yeah. are overflowing. There's like two people at a Hillary rally and less at a Kane rally. So the, the enthusiasm... Uh, is is clearly on Trump's side. I also think, and you could probably you could maybe argue this both ways, but I do think to an extent there is a stigma on being a Trump voter. And so Absolutely, you could, you could possibly Absolutely. say there's a stigma on being a Hillary voter too. But I I do believe there is a population of shy Trump voters who literally won't tell anyone, and and that includes a pollster. Like you might not tell your family, you might not tell your friends, you might not tell a pollster. So I'm inclined to believe there's probably a little bit more Trump support than we're able to measure, just because. I mean, go online. Like Amy Schumer is shaming people publicly for for being a Trump supporter. You have all these celebrities, well-known people, um, and, and plenty. There was an interesting study I just saw too that I think it was Pew that did this that showed um, Hillary supporters are much less tolerant of Trump supporters. I forget what the question wording was, but it, but it showed um, people supporting Hillary. Were, just had much more negative opinions about people supporting Trump than people who support Trump had about people who support Hillary, if that makes sense. Um, the conclusion being Trump supporters are more tolerant of Clinton supporters than Clinton supporters are of Trump supporters. So I do believe, you know, whether it's your family, your workplace, uh, just online, social interaction, there's a stigma associated with, with supporting Trump potentially. So I, I think he gets a little bump there. Um, I, I mean, there's clearly a path. Do I, do I think it's likely that Trump wins? Probably not. I st it's still going to be an upset for him to pull this off, but it's certainly more likely now than it was, um, you know, uh, back a few weeks ago. Yeah, we definitely back after, yeah. after the after the sex tape and and the polls started and not the sex tape, but you know the <laughs> the uh, the grab them by the p word tape on the bus. Um, Trust me, if the Clinton uh, campaign had a Trump sex tape, we would have unfortunately seen that by now. Yeah. I'd watch it. I, I can't. I can't deny. Shot and Freud. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's clearly a path, and, it, and it's clearly trending the right direction right now. So yeah, the momentum is definitely all in his corner. Uh, do you do you have any disagreements with that? No, I think that's that would be pretty much my assessment. I would if I'm a if I'm a betting man, I put my money on Clinton. Uh, that lead was pretty large and looked insurmountable. The only reason this is even a race anymore is because of the FBI investigation, I think. And just the speed at which that has moved the polls is, is pretty impressive. Uh, I do think it's interesting. 
they had a guy, I forget which news network it was on, but they had a guy who's known the Clintons since 1995 and has been a longtime supporter of theirs. And they're asking, you know, they're asking him about the scandals. And the guy just says, I don't think I can vote for Hillary Clinton. <laughs> yeah. Well, and like, and I, for, I forget his name, but he's that bald dude. And I, yeah. I his, his image is in my head. But his the reason he cited was constitutional crisis. Exactly. And this is what I've been digging into the last couple of days. This is fascinating. I had no idea the problems we will face. And we, we do a call-in show on Wednesday nights on our podcast. And um, uh, one of the friends of the show called in and was asking, you know, what happens if Hillary is indicted and elected? And I didn't really have a good answer at the time because I haven't really considered this kind of a few assumptions away from that becoming a reality. But I've spent the last couple of days looking into this. A sitting president is is traditionally enjoys immunity from prosecution. They're not prosecuted. The the process by which we bring them to justice is impeachment. impeachment right. But the problem is at least historically, Congress has interpreted its impeachment power to apply to crimes committed during uh, the time in office for the right. sitting official. So, and, and of course, there's also the possibility she can pardon herself, even though that would be an admission of guilt. So she might refrain from that. Obama could also pardon her before she's even indicted, before there's any trial, before there's any conviction. So there's that possibility too, but that admits guilt. But but if we follow the way we've handled it historically, she can't, she can't be prosecuted, or at least without breaking historical precedent. Congress might not be able to impeach her because that's outside the scope of the impeachment proceedings historically. And she can give herself a free pass on the way out if she wants. This is If it happens, we have some very serious questions to answer about the relationship between the executive and the law. And this is going to be fascinating to watch it play out if it happens yeah i when i'm talking to people who are voting hillary at this point i feel like i'm going a little insane as i'm speaking with them because like you realize that we are electing someone who we know committed a crime and who we know the department of justice leaned on the fbi to not prosecute how can even if you disagree with everything about trump how can you introduce this kind of constitutional crisis to the country like that that is amazing to me because yeah you're right if she get if she was indicted beforehand then obama can pardon her if she gets indicted after then obviously we have a a very odd situation where yeah the, like I said impeachment proceedings don't seem to apply she could pardon herself the real question is would she ever be indicted we know the department of justice i i mean i may be wrong here but the fbi cannot indict her correct has to be the I'm, I'm, of not, I'm not 100% clear on that. I think the and Attorney is, General has to bring the indictment. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, at least the prosecution itself firmly firmly rests on the DOJ in terms of, I don't, I guess my thinking would be, would, so we know, we saw Comey come out in July and say, you know, here's all the evidence we gathered. We don't think it's sufficient to press charges. That's not our recommendation. Right. So obviously they don't bring the charges, but they he made a recommendation. Correct. Would they do the same thing here? Here's what we found. I do think a reasonable prosecutor would bring charges. I mean, would we see a reversal of what we saw in July? Well, I think there was an internal revolt inside the FBI. From what I looked mm -hmm. at, it looks like there was a straight-up internal revolt of, look, if you want to have a shred of integrity at the end of this election, if you want the, pe the people to think that rule of law applies to anyone in the upper echelons of the government and that maybe we shouldn't just give passes to people who happen to be the sitting president's favorite candidate, then we have to actually do something about this. They, you know, they had the, the leak that some of the 
or that most of the agents and lawyers that worked on the investigation expected her to be indicted. And then we find out that the undersecretary in the Department of Justice was get, trying to give them quid pro quo for yeah. declassifying emails so that Hillary Clinton had no longer committed a crime or committed a less severe crime. Like, those are all very, very dangerous questions to be playing with. Uh, yeah. you know, these are at the core of the con- of of having a a society based on the rule of law, and yes. I'm kind of I feel like I'm taking crazy pills when I talk to people who are like, <laughs> but but Donald Trump may have touched a woman. I'm like, oh my god, really? Like, well, but it, this is to your point. They see it the exact reverse way that I know, we do, and I think I know. that the problem is these are very technical issues that don't fit neatly in a headline or in a Facebook post necessarily. I see friends on Facebook posting dumb memes all the time that are like uh, Donald Trump, you know, and then a list of things that are like sexually assaulted women, like insulted Mexican, you know, the list of all the bigotry yes, and right. whatever they throw at him. And then it's like Hillary Clinton. It's like, and it says, use the wrong email. And you're telling me this is a difficult choice. And it's like, you don't understand the implications of, of using the wrong email. It's not like, oh, I meant, I, I meant to email Justin Martin's show email, but instead I sent it to his work email or his personal email. No, okay. The, the, we're talking about. And thanks. I'm, I'm getting fired for that Anthony Weiner pick, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we are talking about classified U.S. intelligence vulnerable to foreign intruders, vulnerable to, to foreign actors who would harm our interests and potentially our personnel if they were to acquire it. Uh, that that is a very serious problem. And even if Donald Trump actually inappropriate inappropriately touched a woman. That's a problem, too. But I consider, let's say, U.S. soldiers abroad at risk um, or U.S. diplomats abroad at risk to be a bigger problem than someone's P word getting grabbed, even if I grant you the worst case scenario. So I don't I don't think they fully grasp the the gravity of the issue. And and it's it's frustrating because it's difficult to, to to flesh this stuff out. You have to have the type of conversation that you and I are having, which is very technical and very detail oriented. And it's just not something that you do. Like you sit down over lunch or a snack or someone at the water cooler at work and have, it's really tough to sort out all these details. Well, and as I was having the discussion with a liberal acquaintance yesterday, he, you know, he was just giving me the, Oh, well, it's mostly just a witch hunt Hillary's email line. And I'm trying to explain to him. It's look, even if that's true, even if it's just that the emails really weren't that consequential, which I don't believe for a moment, because if you think what we found out about the emails is damning, imagine the ones we're never going to see. OK, you don't set Hillary Clinton is not an idiot. People, her staff are not idiots. They didn't just set up a server because they're like, we don't understand how the law works. Well, they set up the a defense. Too. They I set up a too. server because they knew she was doing things probably with the Clinton Foundation that were highly illegal and they wanted to hide them. I, I know that's all just inference. I know I don't have proof on that, but it, you don't have to be a genius to, to put that together. Anyway, even if all that's true, and even if it was just, it was just the emails, it's not, it's not the crime, it's the cover-up. What worries me is not so much the email server. Yes, I am worried about that. That's a big deal. But in the end, that's not the, big, the biggest thing that worries me here. That's not the thing that makes me say, look, however you feel about Trump, you got to go vote for the man. The thing that worries me is the rule of law not applying to someone who's a secretary of state. And, yeah. and the fact that there was clear collusion, whether it was a direct, hey, Barack Obama says to the DOJ, you need to make sure Hillary Clinton doesn't get indicted. And then they go to the FBI and say, make sure Hillary Clinton doesn't get indicted. Or if it's more of a head nod, the boss clearly endorsed Hillary Clinton. She's, we need to protect her at all costs. 
and then that kind of whether it rolls downhill or it was direct there's clear collusion between the executive branch and the government and and the justice department to lean on a federal investigation by the fbi to stop someone from being charged simply because they're the political ally of the sitting president yeah that's a banana republic that's the end of the yeah. rule of law yeah, and, and, I mean, and she's so she's cheating the rule of law. She's cheating uh, her her current or former government role. The thing that bothers me too, or just puzzles me, is the amount of people on the left, the Bernie Bros, uh, willing to just get in line when the other thing we've seen is with perfect clarity how much she cheated the system, how right. much she screwed your guy and screwed right. you and screwed the democratic process uh, in terms of selecting the candidate during the democratic primary. How how can you have your candidate screwed like that, your vote discounted like – well, not necessarily your vote, I suppose, but the influence of your vote uh, unfairly treated as it was. How can you just hop on board with her because the other guy said some mean words? I mean the, this stuff – this stuff with Donna Brazil, for example, the, the oh, delivery yeah. of the questions from uh, – uh, from CNN to the Hillary campaign on multiple occasions, and now she's been let go from CNN, but still serves as the interim uh, chair of the DNC. Also, that who, itself is disqualifying to me. That is a that is an incredible lack of judgment. You don't accidentally receive a question. I mean, someone in Hillary's campaign receives that question and goes, "Okay, great. Now our debate prep is all locked. You know, is all locked down. Hey, Hillary, here are the questions. Here's a scripted answer for it." And for for that campaign to accept that and for the candidate herself presumably to accept that and not say a word just shows you exactly where her values lie. It's not in the process that you are talking about. It's not in the democratic values uh, that you're talking about and the system we have that you're talking about. It is how can I get ahead at all costs, everyone else be damned. And that's a perfect example of it. Well, and if nothing else, at least this election has exposed the media to be entirely complicit especially cnn cnn now makes msnbc look pretty reasonable and balanced like (laughs) like cnn has been so discredited and i want to know by the way who gave donna brazil that question right it doesn't stop at donna brazil did she did she walk by the sheet somewhere did someone tell her what the questions were going to be for the debate where did that information come from? I, I think CNN has just been absolutely egregious. And what, if, if nothing else, I think it's it's nice that it's completely out there how obvious the media being in the tank for Hillary this entire time was. Them checking with the campaign, working with the campaign almost at every turn is just very obvious now. Yeah. And I was always a person – I don't think I would have previously denied that – a lot of mainstream media outlets had kind of a left leaning, but I, I was also a person who probably would have said, yeah, but this is not some large scale problem. We're kind of all human and we probably all have our blind spots and biases. And that's kind of a natural consequence. This election season, to your point, has exposed collusion and corruption way beyond anything I ever thought previously. Yeah. All those conspiracy theories being proven true. I swear to God, if Alex Jones proves Kim trails. I'm calling it a year. I swear <laughs> to God. Like, like the, well, that's the why. That's why anything I see, I'm like, well, I can't say for sure. No. Like, what's the thing coming out right now? The spirit cooking. Oh, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Which I'm not even familiar with. Somebody's tweeting at me like, did Hillary – it's some sort of like – Satan-worshipping cult. Satan-worshipping yes. and they were also pedophiles and they were uh, like child sex Yeah, Mike Cernovich was trying to prove some kind of pedophilia code in the <sighs> – uh, Cernovich, I, anyway. Um, 
So I can't say he's wrong. No, I, I think you can't. At this point, nothing <laughs> is again, nothing is above reproach at this point because who knows? Yeah, no, from what I understand, this is an art installation uh okay. that uh it is somewhat loosely based on Satanism, it's, but it's, you know, not that, not that we actually worship Satan, Satanism, but basically we're atheists and we want to show religion is dumb. So we make fake religious practices and they kind of did an art installation about that. And then they did a private version of that with Podesta and it's got a lot of human fluids used in the art. So it looks really awful because it is really awful, but it doesn't seem to be actual, you know, they're not actually doing child sacrifice to a demon, I don't think, but it is insane. It, it, it is insane. And it's insane that this is, yeah, this election year. <laughs> anyway, so uh, let's say, you know, we are, we talked about the constitutional crisis if Hillary gets elected. One thing I'm interested in, I, I think win or lose for Trump, the GOP, of course, and the Republican party, who knows what that looks like. And I think the right in general I'm, I'm interested. I know you're somebody who's come from the left, and uh, yeah, I don't want to paint it for you, but uh, you seem to be at least leaning center right now a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, and so now, for the first time in your life, this may be a relevant conversation for you. What does the right wing look like after this? And I'm not just talking about the GOP because I I don't hmm. even know how that works anymore. But but the political right, uh, as we know it in America, what does that look like with Trump winning or losing? Well, it's hard for me to say. I can I can talk a little bit about you know what has kind of pulled me over and what I think might be attractive because I do think it's something that's going to grow. I, I think not only the ideas of the left have been kind of exposed during this election cycle, but the candidates as well. Hillary Clinton is not helping, and for me, the common element that has transferred over to kind of where I stand now as opposed to where I might have stood earlier as I guess what I would call just a basic liberal. That's kind of what I was before. Uh, but the common element is a, is a cultural libertarianism. And I do think there's a strong element of that, particularly in, in younger conservatives, kind of like the, the hip, cool Milo crowd, the deviant crowd, the punk crowd. There's that cultural libertarianism that for the most part, you should be able to do what you want, provided you aren't harming other people in the process. And I think that's something that's attractive to, to people like me who, who shared that, who, you know, kind of held that philosophy. Um, when we were on the left as well, what, what's really woken, what's really changed from my perspective, and I've been thinking a lot about this. You're going to call yourself woke. You're going to do it. Yeah, I know. I, I can't <laughs> use that word because it. it's so loaded now. Um, what has really changed my perspective, and I've spent a lot of time thinking about this, trying to figure out why I have changed my outlook on a lot of these issues, is um, is sort of a competing, I, I really see the competition in the in the particularly the economic philosophy of the left and the right as what is it that we lack in society uh, or what do we need to improve more in society? Is it a lack of opportunity? Do we need more opportunity for people that need it? Or do we lack, uh, do we have a cultural lack of personal responsibility and kind of personal initiative? And the more I watch this play out, the more I'm persuaded that for the most part, we do have a, a society that affords good opportunity to people who want to take advantage of it. And we don't necessarily have a society or a culture of people willing to be personal, res, personally responsible and take personal initiative and take, uh, take advantage, take personal advantage of those opportunities. And that's, that's really what's changing in my head. And it sucks because I used to be of the persuasion that 
pretty much everyone wanted to do well and work hard if you gave them a good opportunity. And it's just that there weren't enough really good opportunities. And this entire year has just been uh, a mountain of evidence thrown at me that there are plenty of people who don't want to make good on opportunities, who want to point fingers at everybody else and complain and complain. I mean, uh, just think of all the kind of social justice factions, feminism, Black Lives Matter, all of these awful groups that refuse any personal responsibility for any of the problems perceived or real that plague them. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm becoming more and more convinced that it's like, there is a social obligation or role to provide, you know, good opportunity. That's part of the social contract. But the other half of the social contract is you got to take advantage of it. You got to work hard. You got to do your part. You got to take opportunity seriously and not just demand everyone else give you stuff. And that's yeah. all I hear now. And, and it's so that, that's, that's really what's changed in my head is no, nope, you know, the problem is not enough personal initiative, not enough personal accountability, not enough personal responsibility. The problem is not not enough opportunity. That's, that's really what's shifted for me. Yeah. I think de Torqueville said something like the, the, you know, the end of the Republic will be when, when the, a decent amount of the populace figures out they can vote themselves money. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I think that's uh, always a big clash. Well, you know, is it about equality of opportunity or quality of outcomes is oh, always yeah. the big left, right pull economically. And uh, but I don't even know that that's going to be the realignment because Trump is a big government guy who's anti-trade, you know, and economics. He's probably j just next to Bernie Sanders in a yeah. lot of ways. And so I'm interested to see if kind of the Trump right shifts the Republican Party into into that economic you know uh, paradigm or if it. You know, what parts of the right will be left and how will that recoalesce around leadership? I guess. Yeah. The interesting thing about um, Trump to me is he strikes me as kind of the ultimate pragmatist. Is that a word? The ultimate like practical guy. I, he's clearly not a guy to me that is uh, well thought out philosophically. Ideology is not his bag. No. Yeah. So, uh, but I do think he, probably would be a decent problem solver. I mean, I, I, certainly he's been a successful businessman and I do like what I hear from him when, because I do believe him as genuine when he talks about making great deals and, you know, part of making great deals is bringing people of different perspectives together and finding a resolution. And I, I do actually believe him and think he'd be a pretty good uh, president with that approach. And I, so I wonder, but, mm. but, you know, to your point, it's, it's hard to think what will be the philosophical stance, especially if Trump wins and he is the leader of this party. What's the philosophical stance of this party? It's hard to say because there's definitely no philosophical clarity right. from the guy at the top other than let's let's get stuff done in a way that benefits America first. Well, but, and you know, that's appealing to a lot of people, myself included. I just worry a lot about he doesn't seem to understand how tariffs work, which is a big problem. Um, but more importantly, he also doesn't seem to care about a smaller government. And I'm worried, and I know Republicans always pay lip service to smaller government and, and then don't really actually ever, because the, yeah, I think it was Milton Freeman, the, the hardest thing to kill is a, is a government program. Like you'll, it'll never, <laughs> once it's, once it's voted in, it never goes away. Um, which is why they worked so hard on Obamacare because they knew once they got it in, it didn't matter if it exploded as soon as you got it in the door we're never going back. Um, and so that's, that's kind of why they did that. But I worry that 
we're not going to have a small government conservative party in American politics. It's going to be bigger government nationalists and bigger government socialists. Um, yeah, but that's but, probably true. But I think that's a big problem going forward because I do, I think you just have a crippling debt uh, and you combine that with a lack of understanding of economic incentives. And I don't see that turning around in, you know, it already was hard enough when you actually did have someone arguing for it to try to at least slow the rate of government growth. And now we're going to be in a situation where no one's even trying anymore. Yeah, but and if you don't want, at least if you don't want to get hosed by China. Yeah, no, again, <laughs> uh, go vote for Donald Trump. I wrote an article. It's up on New Media Central. Uh, I hate Trump. Go vote for him. That was basically my article. <laughs> um, so, yeah, do not elect a criminal who will blow up democracy as we know it, who will end the rule of law and, you know, <laughs> and, and uh, become Augustine. They like, don't do that. But um, it, Augustine, Augustus, anyway. Uh, but yeah, I, I do worry about long-term what this does to the, to the right, the political philosophy and, and the overall shift of the right wing in this country, because yeah. I don't hear a lot of arguments that make sense in that arena coming from Trump and it, and win or lose, I worry that this party becomes that party. I, I, I don't, I was talking to a friend who's, who's liberal and uh, he's much more politically astute and involved. Uh, and he's like, Oh, well, it'll be good. Once Donald Trump loses, you guys can get back to the, to the Marco Rubio's of, of the party. I'm like, I don't think that's happening, man. I don't think we're going to see, uh, you know, that, that kind of establishment GOP reassert dominance at the end of this. Yeah. And if he does win, I'm going to be very curious to see the unit. I mean, I'll be curious to see the unity of the party or what direction it goes if he loses. But if he wins, I'm interested to see, too. For instance, I, I'm be very curious to see to what extent um, Congress works with him on, you know, issue X, Y and Z. And to what extent he might follow some of Congress's leadership on some of the stuff they want to get done. Will this be a, a Republican Party kumbaya or do the splits still stand and will we have Ted Cruz pissed off in the Senate about what, um, what president Trump wants to do? I think uh, Ted Cruz's job is to be pissed off in the Senate, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think, uh, cause I do think that, and this is, um, Ben Shapiro talks about this on his show all the time. And I, and I, especially recently, I think there's merit to what he's saying. Like you don't have to like Trump, but on the right, you should be happy that there's disagreement about Trump because it shows that there's careful thought and there's contemplation and there's really serious consideration about his ideas and the direction we should go as a country. You should be worried, and I'm worried, about the level of unity that exists in the Democratic Party for someone as corrupt and possibly criminal as Hillary Clinton. They, If, if she wins, Democrats are all going to get in line. There's not going to be dissent. Not even Bernie is dissenting, and he was cheated. Uh, so but, yeah, <laughs> the Democrats I, are very clear and, and that's worrisome. I guess I'm less surprised by that from the Democrats because it's a coalition built on Muslims and transsexual right activists, right? Yeah, well, that's like true. it's never really gelled. It's, it's really more of a, we generally care about our level of victimhood and economic, our ability to kind of grow the state and, get our small balkanized group, it's graft, you know, it's turn at the trough. It's never really ideologically hung together. So I, I guess I'm just less surprised personally. <laughs> Talking about, um, you know, evolving opinions and evolving perspectives, There, the single point this year where I knew that the Democratic Party was not my home anymore, the single point was right after the Orlando shooting when it wasn't, let's have a serious examination about 
Islam the ideology. It was, let's talk about guns and let's talk about Islamophobia. That was the reaction. I was like, all right, I'm out. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> all right, I think I'm you done guys here. are crazy. Yeah. You're misdiagnosing a very serious problem. I can't do this. Talk about guns and Islamophobia all you want. They're still going to drive trucks at you in Nice, France or whatever, you know. But um, and that and, and Hillary's reaction in particular, and Bernie did it too. It, it, if, ever, if ever there was a moment where I knew uh, I had been evicted from the left, that was it. Yeah, no, their cognitive dissonance is absolutely amazing on on those issues and the pathological just need to defend Islam at every turn, no matter what groups it's targeting, victimizing, is amazing. Of course, we're talking about a woman who is all about, you know, the rights of gay people and women and then takes as much money as humanly possible or maybe lizard personally possible uh, from <laughs> Saudi Arabia and Qatar. And it's just... Yeah, I am well, blown away repeatedly. God, one thing that pissed me off in the last couple of weeks is because Kellyanne Conway and Trump repeat that line. And PolitiFact goes and says, well, that's a lie because uh, Hillary Clinton doesn't personally take the money. It only goes to the Clinton Foundation because that's different. And they, by the way, they don't throw gays off buildings. They just uh, they just execute them. And so it's a, it's a lot different. Well, oh, so, I mean, <laughs> I, I can't believe the the level of gymnastics that defenders go through to to justify some of the awful things that she does. If Trump, you're t you're telling me like if the Trump Foundation took a bunch of money from Saudi Arabia that they wouldn't make the same accusation. Well, Politifact is the biggest joke in the world because I I, I um, this is the power of branding. This is the amazing power of branding, right? So yeah. I I lived in Tampa. I worked on in politics in Tampa. Uh, you know, their political fact is from the St. Pete Times, which is now the Tampa Bay Times, but they were St. Yep. Pete Times back then. And they were the biggest liberal rag in the in the area and everybody knew it. The Tampa Tribune, which was the opposing paper at that time, was super liberal, but they rebranded themselves as conservative just to drive some kind of heat against the St. Pete Times uh -huh. because they were so liberal. And uh, St. Pete Times ended up buying them. And that's why they're, you know, now they're. Uh, Tampa Bay Times, but but the Politifact has always been a partisan organization. They're like Media Matters, okay? Yeah. <laughs> like that, that's like saying Media Matters is a is a media watchdog group. Like no, it's a Clinton Shield group, you know, funded by George Soros. It's it, that, that's what Politifact is. But they call themselves Politifact and they put Pinocchios on things or or whatever pants uh, on, or, fire. No, pants on pants fire. on fire. And yeah. and now they're somehow the arbiters of truth and uh, political speech. It, Oh, and that's what's so annoying. They've got that little shareable badge thing at the end of their articles. Like, if, are you debating this? Here's a badge to give to a person to show that you're right and they're wrong. And, and I mean, they've been shown to have different rulings for two different politicians making essentially the exact same claim. Right. Uh, they've been exposed several several uh, times to your point. But good Lord, I <laughs> I just I it, it, that was the most recent example of them going to insane lengths to reach what was clearly a preconceived conclusion. There's no way to reach that conclusion unless you started with the conclusion first and worked your way backwards with a bunch of insane technicalities that don't really change the spirit of the claim. Well, and this is why I tell people, it's like, look, you have to get your facts from multiple sources. And I know yeah. not everybody has the time. So I, I am sympathetic. It's like a lot of people got to go to work. They got to take care of their kids. Uh, they're just trying to crack a beer on Saturday. They're not going to read... Washington Post, New York Times, Huffington Post, Breitbart, uh, you know, Daily Caller. Like, you're, they're not going to run down a list and try to get multiple perspectives. But you have to understand, like, no one source is going to ever just be 
unbiased and just going to cut you the truth. Everybody has an ideological lens. Everybody yep. sees the world through their own life experience. And they, even if it's just a little bit, they're always going to, you know, news, nobody reads the news to read a list of facts. Reporters don't just write down facts and then print them. There's always a narrative built into those pieces. And you just have to understand that I would prefer sources just tell me their ideology. I don't take everything Breitbart says at face value because I know they're super right wing pro Trump site, but at least I know that. So when I read their stuff, I know what I should be looking for. So if yeah. I go and check out a Huffington Post article on the same thing, I can compare that. But when you just look at one site or one politifact and say, well, that's the news. Yeah. And to your point, you know, I, I don't we are all human uh, and, and I certainly won't pretend that I present information with perfect objectivity all of the time. That's that's obviously not the case. So my dispute is not with uh, a leaning or, you know, an ideological bend. And I, I do think, you know, provided you're honest about it, that that is awesome and, and completely acceptable. Problem with PolitiFact is exactly what you're describing. You've given yourself a name that implies or explicitly states that you are the provider of, of you know, 100% lock factual information, perfect objectivity, uh, you know, no slant, just the facts type stuff. And it's clearly not the case. Well, Absolutely that, not the case. Well, and that's why the discrediting of CNN has been so amazing is because they were the ones trying to play it down the middle, right? You had your MSNBC and your Fox, and then CNN supposed to be trying to give you center or center left, and then you just see them explode, and they were actually one of the worst. You know, there, there's so much uh, cover-up going on inside that organization to, to cover up their left bias. It's like, if you guys had just told us you were in the tank for Hillary, you wouldn't be in this situation. But because you decided to try to play it down the middle and you were lying to us. That's, you know, yeah. This and then they have, they have, I forget who the guest was, but somebody had the audacity to go on CNN recently and actually refer to them as the Clinton news network. Yes. And the anchor got all pissed <laughs> off. And it's like, this is not speculation anymore. I mean, yeah. there's abundance of evidence. I like watching what you're saying. Yeah. I like watching like Jake Tapper get all aghast on Twitter. Uh, like how could people be calling the media? And, and I, I feel bad because I have a good buddy who is a reporter and, uh, yeah, he went to the Trump rally that was down yeah. here and everybody was kind of booing him and harassing him. And he's actually a, like a right leaning libertarian, but because he's, uh, he was a journalist, they assume he's this big left wing guy. And so I, I have some sympathy because, you know, he tries not to share his opinion. He tries to play it as straight as possible. He, he believes in old school journalism and trying to do his best to do that. So I, it's not that I have no sympathy for these people. But look, when you're doing, you know, not so much the little guys, but when you're doing this big national news stuff and you're clearly biased and you're clearly working with campaigns and altering news stories and editing footage to help out one side of the political spectrum – you really should not be surprised when the people don't like you very much. Yeah. And isn't that interesting, too, because it's it's to your point, it's so far beyond just the ideological bias. But we also have that evidence of actual electoral assistance, right. like actual right. help with the electoral process that. God, I, I don't know, though, like 10 women said Donald Trump touched him one time. So <laughs> I'm I'm really rethinking it. Yeah, we have to reach critical mass, you know, yeah. uh, I, I don't even get me started on, on all of that, because the coincidences <laughs> at play in that are another thing that just drive me nuts. Every single factor is in Hillary's electoral favor. But we're just supposed to believe the campaign denies that they had anything to do with it. Right. Oh, All these women just saw the Trump signal and they all well, came out at the same time. No. 
Well, and they and they all happen to do it with just enough time to let the story ruin his poll numbers, but without enough time to actually go in and actually investigate and prove any of these allegations. Yeah, right? and right, uh, and right before convenient. the debate to set up Anderson Cooper to get him to deny right. or, uh, the the tape. I should say it, it, it was clearly in tandem with the bus tape. Yeah, ben Shapiro called tape. that shot. Ben Shapiro yeah. called that shot. Yeah. So I mean it, the the. <laughs> Uh, I, I that just pissed me <laughs> off, but it also pisses me off that the amount people accept it. And I, of course, I can't say that all of these women are liars uh, definitively because I wasn't uh, there. I didn't exist in 1980 when this was allegedly happening. But that's the point. Yeah. And right. any time that, that you don't have sufficient yeah. evidence, the only evidence we have is the circumstantial evidence that this is incredibly politically favorable for Hillary. And if it's too good to be true, if it's too coincidental to be true, I'm going to I'm just going to err on that side. And coincidence is Hillary's biggest campaign ally at this point. She has a great relationship with coincidence. Everything just happens to fall into place all the time. Yeah, and that's why when I look at Donald Trump, it's like, look, he may have done these things. I don't like Trump. I don't think he's a great guy. I don't think he's a sexual molester, but I don't really know. I don't know the guy. We're not friends. I don't know his his true personality and the, his true morality. But all of these are all these are his accusations, and I know all of the things with Clinton are not. And so all I can do is look at the things I know are provably true about Hillary Clinton and the things I know are provably true about Donald Trump. You called Mitt Romney a racist. You didn't have evidence. I don't believe you. You call Donald Trump a sexual assaulter. I don't know, but I don't initially believe you because your history is bad. I look at Hillary Clinton. I see what we can prove. We can prove she's a bad person. We can prove there's government collusion to cover that up. I can't prove that about Trump. And I'm sorry. I'm, it sucks that I'm at this situation where that's the choice of presidency, you know, president I choose, but it's still the case, and I still live in the real world. So, yeah. And somehow we are where we are, and we're still uh, – it's still more likely than not we elect a criminal president on Tuesday. Yeah, it's, country. it's going to be uh, – I, I don't know, man. Cubs won the World Series, so yeah. D- Donald Trump becomes president, and then we all die in a fiery apocalypse. I don't know. <laughs> did you, know, you see – did you see that tweet uh, that was sent out by some random guy? Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it said um, it was this Rays fans, being of Tampa Bay, some Rays fan in uh, t- 2014 tweeted um, 2016 World Series, Cubs and Indians, uh, Game 7 goes to extras, and then the world ends. Yeah. <laughs> And I saw it right at that time, like right when it was going to extras. And I was like, oh, my God, no way, no way. And then I was trying to figure out, is it possible that this could have been faked? But it's really not. It's, it appears to be legit. And at the same time, there were some sirens going off. I, just, I don't know what was going on, emergency ambulance or something in the neighborhood. So I'm I, I, I'm not much of a, a you know, sp- uh, what's the word, like paranormal believer guy, although I have a casual belief in Bigfoot. Uh, that's a story for another day. Uh, more of a desire for Bigfoot to be real, but um, but it was definitely a moment of weird spookiness, man. That is the craziest tweet I've ever seen. Twitter Nostradamus, right there. Yeah. yeah. No, I. Well, that's the great thing about uh, millions and millions of tweets happening. What, like every day? Yeah. Someone probably is going to call it right <laughs> if you you yeah. make a, enough people make enough predictions over enough time. I mean, uh, Donald Trump uh, predicted that Anthony Weiner would be the downfall of uh, Hillary Clinton. Uh, <sighs> uh, so that that was pretty great. How I do love that, that we're in a we are in a situation where 
Anthony Weiner being a pedophile may save America. Yes, that's my favorite part. It's like <laughs> I was saying. We, I was saying on our show on Sunday. I want Carlos Danger Saves America to be a documentary, not, <laughs> not a work of fiction, not a comic book. I want Carlos Danger Saves America to be like chapter three in future uh, grade school history books. Yep, that's what I want. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Well, I don't want to monopolize your time, so uh, thanks for coming on. And if people want to find you, where can they find you? Yeah, it's easiest to find me on Twitter because everything is linked from there, and my name is long and difficult to spell. So if you want to find my Twitter account, my channel, my podcast, all the stuff I'm doing, it is at Matt C on YT on Twitter. All right, great. Again, thanks for coming on. It's always great talking to you. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot. This show has been sponsored by Awesome Wipes, the pre-moistened wipes specially designed to wipe away germs and smudges from your electronics while keeping them safe and static-free. For a limited time, listeners of The Justin Martin Show can use the promo code 16JUSTIN to buy a bag of Awesome Wipes on Amazon.com and get a second bag free. That's all lowercase, spelled 16J-U-S-T-I-N. Amazon Prime members also get free two-day shipping. Search for Awesome Wipes on Amazon.com or go to AwesomeWipes.com to sign up for more discount codes. This has been The Justin Martin Show. You can subscribe on iTunes or go to JustinMartinShow.com. Follow Justin on Twitter at JMartinShow. If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to like, comment and subscribe.